Welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan, here today to talk to you about, what else? One of the biggest deals in the history of video gaming, Microsoft and Xbox's pending acquisition of Call of Duty maker Activision. And I describe Activision that way because, well, that's what's on the tip of everybody's lips. And thank you so much to everybody that asked for my thoughts on one of the biggest stories of the day, that being not just Microsoft purchasing Activision. We know that's going on. We know regulators are looking at that. But that some of the answers that some big video game industry participants, including most prominently Sony, have given to those regulators that are asking questions about what this deal might mean for their respective markets. Now, we've talked about that in this playlist, right? Microsoft times Activision. We've talked about here in the United States what the Federal Trade Commission's process is going to be, how when you get a second review of the documents, they're going to ask for more diligence. We now know that Microsoft thinks they are done providing those materials. That's not really up to them. We'll see what the FTC does with that information. But as part of that process, the FTC can go and ask industry participants, consumers, vendors, for more information as to what those folks who are ostensibly more knowledgeable than any given regulator in a given industry think about a proposed deal. And that is taking place all around the world. So this weekend, a post went up on Reset Era, which is a prominent forum talking about video games, by someone named Idis. And Idis here says they are a lawyer. We have no reason to disbelieve them, but they put together this post that talks about the Brazilian regulators' responses that they received from places like Sony and Ubisoft and Amazon to the questions that were posed by this regulator. Now, as you can imagine, since it's the Brazilian regulator, one of the things we don't know is Portuguese here in virtual legality. So these documents look a a little bit like this. So we are going to be taking, with a grain of salt, of course, but we are going to be taking on faith some of the translation that is done by this particular member of Reset Era so that we can talk about it. I will tell you that we've gone through Google Translate for as good as it is and looked at some of the answers, looked at some of the questions, and everything seems to line up with what this particular forum poster is saying. Uh, So we can take it with that faith, but as always, It's a forum post on the internet, and we should not assume that we know everything about this just because we're reading it in a forum post. That all said, a lot of folks wanted to know, do I feel the same way that some people are saying about this VGC article? Sony says it believes Xbox owning Call of Duty could influence users' console choice. Regulatory docs reveal the PlayStation's firm's thoughts on the Activision Blizzard acquisition. And a couple of things. One, we're going to look at some of these answers. But two, all right, I'm a lawyer right? I do mergers and acquisitions. When you are talking to a regulatory body, yes, you can give your thoughts. Yes, you should always tell the truth. Yes, we can expect that Sony is being truthful, roughly, with the answers that it has given to this regulation body. But everything everywhere in business can be done with an eye towards how it's going to be perceived, both in public, if you know these documents are going to be made public, which Brazil warns the answerers about, and two, how it might benefit you. So we're going to be looking at it through that lens. We're not going to ascribe emotionality to these answers necessarily, but we can take a look at what Sony says and how we feel about it. So here's Idis at Reset Era. As you may have heard, Microsoft is acquiring Activision Blizzard. To do that, they have to go through some regulatory processes, including Brazil. Brazil put together some questions here. They say they are a lawyer. They speak Spanish, not Portuguese, but very similar in nature. They use some Google Translate themselves. And then they want to highlight what kind of questions they were asking, the Brazilian regulatory authorities. Does your company agree that physical distribution and digital distribution of games should be treated as separate markets? 
Or would physical and digital distribution compete with each other in the same market? Now, that's going to matter because, as we've talked about, in respect of antitrust regulation, the definition of the market is often where this fight lives. If you define a market to be something really small, like, say, dedicated VR fitness apps, it's much easier to find a monopoly than all software. Software can then be separated into enterprise software and personal software and video games and other kinds of things. Video games can then be selected and sorted into consoles and PCs and mobile. You can do all sorts of things. The smaller you make the market, the more likely you're going to find some kind of competition concern. And that's why it's so important that these various bodies use somewhat standard definitions for what these markets actually are so that you don't over-regulate or under-regulate based on how you've defined those markets. So the question is, should those be treated the same or should those be treated differently? And we'll see a very interesting answer to that question from Sony. Should the digital video game distribution market be segmented by hardware platform type? If you consider that the game distribution market should be segmented or that it should encompass uh, a broader set of products or services, present an alternative definition. They ask for a lot of homework. Uh, in this set of documents, especially for companies that aren't otherwise related to this transaction. In your company's view, subscription game services should only be understood as part of a broader market for digital game distribution, or should they constitute a more restricted specific market from a competitive perspective? Again, should we be regulating the digital distribution, software as a service, game pass type market differently from everything else? All sorts of questions around that. Are subscription services different? Are there relevant barriers to entry for either electronic game distribution or those subscription services in the last five years? Has there been any relevant entry into the distribution market of digital gaming? How uh, is this industry functioning? Is it stagnant? Is it dynamic? Provide an estimate of the time required to complete a full entry. I don't think we have Sony's answer here necessarily, but I did translate it separately in researching this video. They say basically we can't know, but it would take a long time. Uh, an isolated entry into the game distribution market can be considered commercially viable. Could somebody enter into this thing or should we be really worried about game distribution? Is the market for physical distribution of games for consoles exerting some competitive pressure on the console game digital distribution market? How do physical and digital react? Does Activision Blizzard publish any title which due to its characteristics does not have close competitors? And this is what's getting reported on all over the place because Sony made some very specific answers. Now, specifically, we're going to take a look at how this is summarized on Reset Era because I think that's useful and I think this individual poster did a very good job. But we can also look at some of what's being baked into this questioning by the Brazilian authorities itself. So here's Google Translate. Take it as you will. But their question to the Sonys of the world, to everyone that they ask this set of questions to, in your company's view, does Activision Blizzard publish any title which, due to its characteristics or specificities, does not have competitors upcoming published by other companies in the game industry? That there's nothing that could possibly compete with it. Which ones? Note, as close competitors, consider games of the same genre, action-adventure, racing, RPG, first-person shooter, etc., available on the same platform, aimed at the same player audience, and developed based on production values and similar technical specifications. You don't have to name indies against AAA, and you don't have to name every possible variant of video games against the Call of Duties of the world. But this question is at least somewhat loaded, right? You tell us what you think is going to be distinct, and we will listen to you, and of course, that kind of elicits a response like the one that Sony gives, which is Activision's Call of Duty is an essential game, a blockbuster, a game AAA that has no rival. According to a 2019 study, the importance of Call of Duty to entertainment in general is indescribable. 
The brand was the only video game IP to enter the top 10 of all entertainment brands among fanatics, joining powerhouses like Star Wars, Game of Thrones, Harry Potter, and Lord of the Rings. Call of Duty is so popular that it influences users' choice of console, and their network of loyal users is so ingrained that even if a competitor had budget to develop a similar product, they would not be able to rival it. Now, let's talk about that a little bit. We've seen Sony respond to this Microsoft and Activision deal. When it's announced, we start hearing rumblings from Sony that we anticipate that Microsoft will abide by its contractual commitments, which Microsoft in all of these acquisitions has never suggested that they won't do. And that we've had a good talk about Call of Duty staying multi-platform. We have Xbox and Microsoft saying that they intend to keep Call of Duty multi-platform because again, Microsoft is on a PR campaign right now. There's nothing wrong with that. They're trying to get this deal through all these various regulatory bodies. But PlayStation has its own business to protect. So when we're looking at a question like this one, asked of by regulatory authorities, it makes all the sense in the world, regardless of how you might feel in your heart of hearts, which corporations don't have, don't forget, about Call of Duty, to say, well, Call of Duty is very essential. And nothing could rival it no matter the resources thrown at it, right? They continue by saying annual AAA releases in the Call of Duty series are developed by four rotating studios, each supported by several satellite studios. Activision is fundamentally at the console level, the Call of Duty company right now. Other studios work on Battle Royale, Warzone, and Call of Duty Mobile. Approximately 1,200 people work in the development of each version, and another 1,500 are involved in the publication and distribution of the game. Thus, Call of Duty alone has more developers than most game companies employ across their entire development portfolio, even AAA studios. Still, having in view of its plans to recruit an additional 2,000 developers in 2021... Activision probably expects Call of Duty to be even more successful in the future. No other developer can assign the same level of resources and expertise in game development. Even if they could, Call of Duty is heavily entrenched so that no rival, no matter how relevant, can achieve it, can mirror its success. Call of Duty was the biggest game sale for almost every year in the last decade, and for its genre, it is overwhelmingly the best-selling game. It is synonymous with shooting games in first person and essentially defines that category. This is also demonstrated by player engagement on social media. Call of Duty has all these followers on those platforms. Now, note they have to actually limit the best-selling game to genre because you do have Minecrafts and things like that. Maybe not too helpful for Microsoft's argument given their prior acquisitions. But Sony is out here saying that nothing will ever equal Call of Duty. And while it makes a lot of sense politically because you want to make sure that you have access to that from Sony's side of things, it's also pretty much flatly wrong. Things get stronger, things get weaker. Call of Duty has been at the top of the list for a very long time and will likely continue there for a considerable time from here. But even though we can't necessarily see it in the middle of these things, things change, right? We're looking at the Marvel Cinematic Universe in the world of movies, and while they are still massively successful, they aren't nearly as successful as they were only a few short years ago. Things change. Westerns used to dominate the box office. Different types of movies do now, but that doesn't mean they won't change in the future. And video games have long been known to have upstarts, right? PUBG comes out of nowhere to take a huge chunk of the market and make its company a fortune, not with huge amounts of resources and thousands and thousands and thousands of people, but because they had a new idea that people really took to. We can expect that to continue in the future. But Sony makes a good case for Call of Duty being a very unique property that consistently outsells almost everything else on the market. So Sony can make this truthfully, 
while still gilding the lily a little bit, right? If we're really honest, we got the truth serum out and we sat the Sony executives down in a chair. Do they really think Call of Duty is just going to be at the top of the charts for video games forever and ever and ever? I don't think that they would. And so that's a very interesting answer. But some people have been online saying Sony's being ridiculous. They keep things exclusive to themselves. And of course they do. They're competing on a console level. But it doesn't make them wrong here to say that Call of Duty is something special, even within that world of competing on exclusives. Now, this is summarized a little bit more in short form here in this particular post. They say that from a development publication perspective, game development typically involves an early stage that is neutral in relation to the platform before the game is adapted for one or more specific platforms. Totally fair. They believe that all games compete for engagement of the player. Players choose their gaming platform based on pricing, features, and game types. The available content is the main factor for the player to choose a platform. They say that there are a few barriers to entry in game development and publishing for PC, that only one developer can create an indie game and distribute it online, but creating a high-end AAA game requires a budget of hundreds of millions of dollars and thousands of employees. They say that apart from Activision, there are few developers, publishers capable of producing AAA games, such as EA, Take-Two, Rockstar, Epic Games. These games tend to be long-running franchises with big budgets, multi-year development cycles, and very supportive followers. And despite all of that, getting to the answer we just read, Sony believes that none of these developers could create a franchise to rival Activision. Division's Call of Duty, which stands out as a gaming category on its own. That's why they believe that Call of Duty is so popular that it influences users' choice of console. In fact, their network of loyal users is so ingrained that even if a competitor had the budget to develop a similar product, it would not be able to create a rival. Now, this is an interesting kind of assertion because Call of Duty has been multi-platform for forever, but did have exclusives, things like special items given to one platform or the other that was the marketing partner switching from Microsoft to Sony last generation and presumably switching back if Microsoft completes the transaction uh, for Activision. And so they should have some data on this. I will tell you these documents have paragraphs that apparently reference data, the Sony one, the other game developers. Those are redacted as they should be because that's proprietary business information to these companies. Uh, And so we don't get a lot of the details there. But it's worth noting that we don't actually know what the world looks like if Call of Duty were limited to one platform or the other. Obviously, Activision makes the most money by selling into multiple marketplaces. It might be the case that the same could be said for Microsoft while holding the reins of the Call of Duty franchise. Certainly, they have intimated that they intend to keep it multi-platform if only to assuage the regulators on this kind of thing. Uh, But Sony wants to make sure that these regulators and probably every other answer they give to other regulators know that Call of Duty is very important to them. They talk about the time, money, number of employees, millions of followers, sales, and other data points related to Call of Duty to show how it's a very unique franchise that cannot be replaced. And then they talk a little bit about Game Pass. So things get interesting from there. Here we go with respect to Game Pass. Content as the main driver of purchasing decisions is the most important barrier to establishing a digital distribution channel for PC, console, and mobile. A successful digital distribution channel will need to offer a wide range of differentiated content, that is, different genres and different prices. One of the reasons why the game Microsoft Pass, Microsoft's Game Pass, has grown so quickly is why since 2017, Microsoft acquired several third-party studios, including Double Fine, Obsidian, Ninja Theory, and Bethesda, and added their content to Game Pass. Such acquisitions have given Microsoft a greater mass of content, even without Activision games. Add Activision games to this content, and that would represent an inflection point. So Sony 
doesn't necessarily want this deal to go through, at least without a careful consideration of the situation here, right? I have done a ton of videos on this transaction and people have said, how can this even be in question because Microsoft will only be the third highest revenue producer of video games? And I said, look, I think this deal will go through, but if somebody wanted to challenge this deal, whether it's the FTC or the EU or the Brazilian authorities or the New Zealand authorities or anybody else, one of the ways you could do it would be to separate out the concept of either cloud computing or software as a service, the Game Pass revenue model, and say that what this is doing is giving market power, monopoly power that Game Pass and Xbox and Microsoft would hold that isn't the kind of thing that we regulator of whatever jurisdiction want to see. You separate it from all games and you put it into one of these buckets. What Brazil appears to be asking about very specifically is do these members of the community, the video game industry, think that that is a viable way of thinking about the market? Sony says that if they get Activision, it will represent an inflection point for their ability to monetize and potentially monopolize Game Pass in this specific market. But while you might think that's the end of the story, Sony actually does something a little bit weird. Obviously, you want to be truthful to regulators, but it would be the easiest thing in the world. We saw the questions that Brazil is posing to Sony to say, oh, yes, they're very different markets, right? They are different business models and different business models are often the kind of thing that suggests different markets to a regulating authority. So you say, "Okay, buy to play. I spend $70 and I get my copy of Gran Turismo 7 is wildly different from subscribe to Game Pass and get access to Forza Horizon 5. Instead, Sony goes the opposite direction. They say SIE, that's Sony Interactive Entertainment to you and I, believes that subscription services, Game Pass, compete with games purchased for a one-time fee, buy to play. So they go out there and they tell this regulator, sure, we could have said these are different markets. That would make it a little bit harder for Microsoft to stand its ground. But no, we think in all honesty, these are the same markets. Consumers weigh the game availability factors, tiered pricing. These games still are subject to competitive pressures described above. Games are substantially the same, regardless of whether the consumer made a one-time payment or accessed the bonds through a service of signature, uh, whether they ac access it by subscription or not. So Sony actually goes out of its way to say, no, this is still the same market. And with a bigger denominator of the market, Microsoft has a better case for saying that they aren't exerting too much market pressure, even though Sony is clearly concerned about any way to compete with what Microsoft is building. And that concern will continue. Right? As they describe this, they say, the applicants argue that from a competitive standpoint, this isn't Sony, this is Brazil's question with respect to Game Pass. The purchase of individuals with upfront payment and subscription services for multiple games make up the same relevant market for digital game distribution. So they asked this question and Sony answered it the way we just said, differing only as far as to the payment model. More specifically, they allege, this is Microsoft, that the parties consider that subscriptions that give access to several games make up the segment-wide range of digital distribution. When deciding whether or not to subscribe, players will evaluate the various things in the Game Pass. And that leads to Sony's answer. And then Brazil asked them to justify that answer. But Sony is clearly still concerned. While Sony agrees that subscription services compete with games purchased for a one-time fee, the lowest upfront cost, the lower upfront costs of subscription services for consumers can make publishers who recoup significant investments in games by selling them for an upfront fee not be competitive with that subscription model. This can harm the consumer, says PlayStation, reducing the quality of the game. All of this is hypothetical. All of this is projection. 
all of this is Jim Ryan speaking in his articles about Game Pass can't sustain a AAA investment model. That is writ large here in the answer to this question. And yet they don't take the easy way out. Sony, to its credit, presumably answering honestly because it's not to their benefit, says, no, no, these are the same markets. You don't have to kill the deal because of that. But you should be aware that the entire concept of Game Pass might be anti-competitive, primarily because it could be lowering the quality of products that are being released to consumers. Now, that sounds like a judgment call for consumers. It's not anti-competitive on its face in terms of exertion of market power. But I think Sony is trying to frame out at least a portion of a kind of aggressive pricing, undercutting the market uh, idea with allowing worse products to get out to consumers for ostensibly less cost, uh, but consumers are more worse off for it. That said, I do think that anti-competition regulatory authorities in the jurisdictions I recognize, a lot of different countries out there, folks, are not going to take well to that specific argument because in general, consumers are allowed to buy a worse product uh, if they want, right? You can get a high-end $5,000 office fan that's made of mahogany and is absolutely awesome, or you can drop in at the Walmart and get a $5 version of that same fan that'll die on you in three months, but that choice is yours to make. So Sony saying, we think this will wind up with worse products on a different business model doesn't actually make their case from an anti-competitive perspective. That all said, all of these answers make sense. They are using the process put before them and they've gone out there, not out of fear, not out of emotionality, not of actually thinking about all these things that Call of Duty could mean for their business. I will tell you, PlayStation wouldn't go anywhere if Call of Duty became an exclusive on Microsoft. Microsoft might win a bigger market share and might take a dominant position in the market, but Sony and PlayStation would be just fine that Sony and PlayStation are taking advantage of the opportunity afforded to them to talk on this particular area of regulatory concern. They know, just as Microsoft does, that they at least can get regulators' attention by saying Call of Duty is super special. We want to make sure we have access to that. And that's why Microsoft has effectively offered that access in public. Now, the rest of the answers aren't as exciting. They aren't at the top of the list here for VGC or anybody else talking about these things. But you do have some publishers here. Warner Brothers doesn't have specific comments. They aren't really competing uh, in the same way as Sony and Microsoft at the top end. So they don't really care if it's made by Microsoft, if it's made by Activision. It's still something out there. Ubisoft says there's no reason to separate by genres, but PC and console are one side of the market and mobile is totally different. And they don't think that ABK has unique games because there is no such video game title that doesn't have close competition. That's an interesting assertion. I think they're roughly right. I think Call of Duty, while unique, while strong, is certainly capable of being toppled uh, by the right kind of game and the right kind of uh, AAA maker in all likelihood. Uh, but also that even now you still have Battlefield, you still have PUBG, you still have other things that are a similar kind of experience to first person shooting in the world of Call of Duty. And all of those things are competing with each other for market share. Ubisoft mentions Battlefield and PUBG and Apex and Rainbow Six. You got to respect, right? Hey, by the way, we've got a competitor to Call of Duty right here with Rainbow Six Regulator. Uh, and so I think they've got a pretty good statement here. They think subscription services are a constant trend in the sector and its importance is growing up. However, at least for the time being, it should not be considered a different market. So Ubisoft hedges its best a little and says, yeah, it could be, but it's not yet. Then you've got some platforms. Bandai Namco says there's no issues with Activision being purchased because every game is unique, which I like as a philosophy. You know what? There are no competitors and there are no monopolies because 
unless we're about to call it a Call of Duty monopoly on the market for Call of Duty games, it doesn't make any sense, Regulator, because every game is its own special snowflake. It's like, I like it, Bandai Namco. You know what? Absolutely. Every game is unique. Even in the Call of Duty series, there are good ones and there are bad ones. But still, there are actual competitors, right? You do go in and say, I feel like playing a first-person shooter and you might play Call of Duty, you might play Battlefield, you might play Destiny, you might play something else. So they do have competitors, but I do like the sentiment. Apple doesn't have a ton to say. Riot doesn't have a ton to say. Amazon doesn't have enough information. That doesn't surprise. Out of Amazon's gaming uh, setup, Google doesn't have much to say. Meta redacts its entire answer. And then it's described as follows on Reset Era here. Sony is the most negative one. And I don't know whether I would characterize Sony's answers as negative here. I would characterize them as very self-interested. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's what you would expect from your primary industry competitor on one of these kinds of questionnaires. And they don't go so far as to what apparently would amount to them to lying and saying that these markets are separate in such a way that would make it more likely for Microsoft to have problems caused for it. So I think Sony is very fair in its assertion saying, look, Call of Duty is a big freaking deal. And we think that if it were made exclusive to Microsoft, that would bite into our market share. Now, should anybody care about that is an entirely different question. Uh, because Microsoft isn't suddenly going to become a monopolist in the video game industry, even with that access. But they might, with respect to subscription as a service type stuff and Game Pass. And Sony doesn't take that bait to go for that. Now, is that because they have their own plans for their own PS premium service? Possibly. We can't really speak to that right now. But Sony basically answered it how you would expect a corporation that's competing in a space like this to answer. And I really don't think, even though what I've been seeing on my timeline is, Rick, do you think they're running scared? And do you think this is all legitimate? And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's opportunistic. I think it is a company that knows that they can put a little bit of pressure to make sure that they get to keep this game that they think is useful, that undercuts at least some of the value of the Microsoft transaction. And they're being truthful about that in order to get that result. So that's what I see from Sony. I know a lot of people come in here and say, I dog Sony too much. I actually didn't see an issue with these particular answers. Uh, but certainly it's interesting to see these various industry players talk on this. And I do want to thank, uh, is it Ideas? Uh, Itis from Reset Era for highlighting that these documents were out there. In Portuguese, grant you, but certainly a lot of fun stuff to talk about. This has been Virtual Legality for today. If you enjoy talking about the business and law, video games, technology, pop culture, and more, please consider supporting the channel. We've got a Utreon where most of the money you'd otherwise put in there gets to us, which is fantastic, and Patreon, which is a well, more well-known platform, but a little less of those resources get to us. Either way, it's fine. We've also got YouTube memberships, but if none of that appeals to you, just subscribing, ringing bells, engaging with the content, upvotes, downvotes, anything else that you like that YouTube recognizes as you watching the video and having a thought, every little bit helps. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel. Thank you.